0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. We are part of the SB Nation family of podcasts on Cincy Jungles podcast channel um, among other shows that are on that channel as well. So check out Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, Orange is the New Black. Those are a couple of other shows that are on the the program slate. We appreciate you subscribing to the channel and getting this show. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can get all of our stuff via, you know, the video is on youtube and all of our stuff is available on cincyjungle.com so let's bring in our special our, our first of two special guests this evening brent taylor who is with roll bama roll the sb nation site for the alabama crimson tide brent how you doing
1: hey anthony i'm doing good how about you guys
0: Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully, you can uh, see and/or hear us. All right. I appreciate you making the time to join us. We're gonna we're gonna primarily ask you kind of about uh, Tua Tua Tagovailoa. I guess I'll start with this though. Um, I don't want to say that that the Alabama season has derailed because they are still one of the strongest teams in the you know, in the nation, but had he not been injured to a do you think that the Bama team would be in the playoff picture? Or do you think that, you know, that loss to to LSU kind of sealed their fate and the fact that, you know, the quarterback who came in for him just wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to cut it. But do you think that him being healthy would have changed the current look of what's going on with the Crimson Tide?
1: You know, there, there's always those ifs. What, what if? And you, you hate it, but this Alabama's decade of basically college football dominance started when Colt McCoy got hurt in a national championship game. And so that that's kind of yeah. been a running joke is if only Colt hadn't got hurt. And we've made fun of Texas for years for that. So I, I guess I kind of have to lay off of that one. Uh, but what?
0: ifs and buts, but- right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's and buts. Uh the LSU game, I don't think that would have made a difference. I think Tua was about as healthy as he could have been. And Alabama just lost. The Auburn game, that, that's a little different. Um you, you know, it was a three-point game and the backup quarterback threw two pick pick-sixes, as one of them in the end zone. But oh. on the other hand, it was playing I guess you guys are from a lot further up north and probably don't see it much. But when Alabama plays in Auburn, things go bad. And some way or another, something always goes bad. So I I don't know. I don't hold a whole lot of hope, regardless that
0: Alabama would have won that one. So if you were to look at Tua as uh, as a Alabama quarterback and potential NFL prospect, um, he's got a number of different strengths. Uh, you know you could you could point to a handful the deep ball leadership uh, toughness playing through some of those injuries uh, you know a a lot of different stuff what what would you say as someone who has watched him ardently over the past consistency maybe is another one um, what did you say what would you say is his biggest strength or biggest positive trait of all the positive traits as he goes towards the NFL
1: so I'm this is this is one I'm actually really certain on. Uh, and it's one people don't talk about a whole lot with quarterbacks, but it's his, his pocket movement. And you'll see uh, one of the biggest detractors from a lot of your Facebook commenters and stuff is that it, it's too easy. He just stands in the pocket forever and then makes easy throws. And then you watch and you're like, oh, that's not because an offensive line is just making it easy for him. He's just got this way of, kind of drifting in a pocket, moving around a little bit, a little bit of Drew Brees in him that way of making a, you know, a poorly blocked offensive line look a lot better
2: than they really were. I definitely agree with that. I, I definitely see a lot of breeze in the way that he manipulates the pocket. But of course the one thing, you know, I, I would love for, for, the main discussion around Tua to be what he's good at, but obviously a lot of Bengals fans are really concerned about the injury and the current one right now and the fact that he already had a couple major ones uh, before this. So from someone who's followed his entire career, from someone who's kept the updates with all of his recoveries and whatnot, like I I don't want to say – I don't want to ask you if he's injury prone, but can you give – just the general fan of uh, the general NFL NFL fan, a prognosis of what injuries that Tua has has suffered and how he's recovered them, and what, in your best opinion, is his prognosis for his recovery going forward in twenty twenty.
1: So it started after his freshman year. Uh, everybody was kind of expecting him after the brilliant national championship game when he burst onto the, the national stage uh, to. Kind of take over that next spring game, and we could finally see him as a starter. And he broke his index finger, I think, maybe, maybe the middle finger, one of those, and had to miss the spring game. So, you know, it's just one of those little fluky things. Well, then halfway through his first season, uh, he had a knee injury. It was kind of, I think, and they never really disclosed what it was, but he kind right. of acted like maybe an MCL sprain. Not bad enough to have surgery, but enough to you know, wear some tight knee sleeves and hobble around a little bit. And then as it went on, um, he'd kind of get a little better Then, somebody hit him. He'd get worse for another week. And then he ended up spraining another ankle and it was either a, the other knee or the second ankle in the SEC championship game and ended up having to be benched because of that. Uh, he had a, tightrope surgery on that ankle and was ready to go for the championship game that year. And then came into this season and then had another ankle sprain, had another tightrope surgery. Was almost looking to full speed again and then had the devastating hip injury. Uh, when it first happened, there was a lot of people saying this was similar to the Bo Jackson injury back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a career ender and he'd Struggled to even walk again and this and that. And then as the week went on, we heard more and more that they kind of expected maybe by a full recovery, maybe by even next season. Uh, Alabama's had another linebacker. CJ Mosley had the same injury in the national championship game in 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. And he wound up playing the next year after he was kind of slow the first few weeks. So there is precedent for coming back from that injury. Uh, and even as a quarterback, it's maybe not as important, even if he doesn't get that full motion that, say, a receiver or cornerback would have. Uh, but again, hey, I'm not a doctor. And everyone <laughs> else on Twitter has speculated this one. So uh, e- either way, I I'm not sure I'd hold out hope that he'd be ready to go at the start of next season. Uh, But maybe, you know, part of the way through the year, he'd be mostly ready to go and maybe even take a redshirt year almost just to learn how to be an NFL quarterback after he missed the whole offseason.
0: Talking with Brent Taylor of Roll Bama Roll of the SB Nation Network, the uh, SB Nation's Alabama Crimson Tide uh, community for for Alabama. There, um, talking about too, uh You know, one of the one of the concerns I think that Bengals fans have, and and quite honestly, it was one that was mine early in the process until I really started kind of watching a few more Alabama games. But you would definitely know this or know about this more clearly than I would. One of the concerns I think that a lot of people have is is. Tua the quarterback that raises everybody else's play or the Alabama super team with the great offensive line, the great receivers that maybe help him out a bit more. What do you think is more fact or fiction there? You know, is 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 Tua raising the play of others or is he a little bit of a product of such a great football team because Saban is such a, a great recruiter and they always get the talent?
1: Man, chicken or the egg there. Uh... <laughs> But I, I will say uh, that that is a hard one because the three or really four receivers Alabama's got right now are all such big play threats. They they just got so much speed. And But I, I will say in the years leading up to this, kind of one of the favorite criticisms of Saban's teams have been kind of a plodding, slow, not-all-that-effective of passing offense. You know, we've got the game manager quarterbacks, and maybe one receiver that's pretty good. You got a Julio Jones or Amari Cooper bailing you out on third down, and other than that, it's mostly ineffective. And then all of a sudden, you get one new quarterback, and all four receivers are making that quarterback good. After years and years and years of the offense kind of being held back by a passing game, uh, so that that's kind of where I'd point to that. But, you know, it's also a changing of times. Passing's easier, easier than it ever has been. And all those receivers did come in at one time, so it very well could just be some really great receivers making great plays on slant
2: routes. That is very true. And this is, this is going to be kind of a – going off of that, this is kind of be more of a tough question because two has had – a lot of very productive games. Obviously, he's one of the most productive quarterbacks in college football history, and there hasn't been a lot of games where he's kind of looked human in in, in a sense where he hasn't been able to, to do what he does best. So off the top of your head, if there's one game where you would point to anybody and say, watch this game if you want to evaluate what Tua does well, and if there's one game where you say, watch this game if you want to see where Tua struggles over his career, what are the games that you're pointing at?
1: Um, the ones where he struggled, well, I, I would say, first of all, you kind of have to take out the ones where he went out with an injury. The Georgia SEC championship was by far his worst, but he was also playing on a sprained ankle and knee in the same game. Um, uh, so I, I, probably his worst moments were in the championship loss to Clemson last year. uh, Highly televised. Everyone saw it. But you you could kind of see where he knows. There's a little bit of that Brett Favre mentality of, I'm going to win this game, and we're throwing it deep. And so a a good defensive coordinator like Brett Venables pulled some stunts on him and uh, disguised some coverages. And so like one, one of his deep interceptions he threw it as soon as his receiver beat the corner. Turned out it was a disguised cover 2 and there was safety help just waiting there for it. So that that's kind of a big one to watch for. The other thing uh at the end of the or no, end of the second half of the LSU game this year, he pulled it again, 20 seconds left in the half, decided to throw a risky one over the middle and just hit a linebacker straight in the chest. Wound up, else he drove it back and scored with 20, and there's only 20 seconds left. And that that's actually one throw that he's had intercepted multiple times over the past three years. It's always that looking at a guy coming across a drag route and missing a linebacker coming the other way and cutting it off. So that that's been kind of his biggest, I guess, a bugaboo is a certain throw. Is that that deep crosser and a linebacker coming from the opposite direction. And for the best game to watch, uh, honestly, I would go back to his very first one, that championship win over Georgia. That was some great throws, the game winner in overtime. You know, he looks one way, then throws it deep the other. He's done that for three years since then. And you think eventually this isn't going to work, and it just keeps working.
0: Brent, what are you what are you thinking? The level of success Tua can have behind an offensive line that that maybe is not. Um, not up to, to snuff or not one of the better ones in the NFL. I, I, You know, you look at his injuries, that's a concern. But you also mentioned that one of his strengths is his pocket awareness and his, his ability to navigate in the pocket. So do you think that he could still be successful on a team? Because right now the Bengals' offensive line is one of, if not the worst in the league. They'll get Jonah Williams back next year. But do you know, the concern is there amongst the fan base and those who cover the team that you bring in a quarterback, you spend this high pick, and he's going to get killed behind this offensive line. But there are some guys who find the way to make plays despite some of the shortcomings in front of them. Do you think that Tua can be a very effective NFL quarterback behind a patchwork offensive line or or worse than patchwork?
1: Ah, uh, I mean, that that's always going to be – really hard for a quarterback behind an offensive line that rough. Um, uh, as, as a quick aside, um, uh, NFL wise, I'm actually a Seattle fan. So from Alabama, we don't have a pro team. I picked Seattle years and years ago because they drafted Sean Alexander. Um, uh, but anyway, so for years I've been watching Russell Wilson run for his life. Most every play of the game behind a horrible <laughs> offensive line. Um, uh, So it, I mean, it can be done Uh, Tua is definitely not as fast or as good of a scrambler as like a Russell Wilson is, but he is better at not running the wrong way or running into people. So I I think he can be, I think enough. I don't know the Bengals offensive scheme, but I think if you're struggling with pass protection, there's got to be a lot of quick passes And uh, under this year's offense, so 2018 Alabama had a very vertical offense. There was a lot of play action, deep shots. This year under Steve Sarkeesian has been more of a standard West Coast, a lot of quick hitting stuff. Uh, I I think that's important. And he's got a quick release and the ability to do that.
2: Talking with Brent Taylor from Roll Bama Roll, the Alabama SB Nation site. Brent, I want to kind of transition to other players on Alabama's roster because Alabama's still a really good team and always produces quality NFL talents. Sticking with the offensive line, Alabama has two tackle prospects that are draft eligible and could declare for the NFL draft. One of them, uh, I think Dane Brugler Jr. for The Athletic, listed him, has his top tackle prospect in, in the NFL draft this year. Je- Jedrick Wills Jr., and the other guy being Alex Leatherwood, in your opinion, w- w- which of these guys really stands out more to you as, as the better professional going forward? And obviously, you know, you can classify w- which of them you think has been better in Alabama, but in terms of translatable skills into the NFL, like athleticism and how they handle power, which one are you more confident in having the better NFL career?
1: Uh, Wills Absolutely. Not, not even a second hesitation there. Um, He's been, even as a high school recruit, kind of one of the top testers in a lot of your athletic power, speed, acceleration, all those. And then Kent kind of came in his freshman year. He didn't start, but he quickly kind of pushed his way into rotation, played a good bit. And then sophomore year was a starter. And the fun thing about Wills is anytime you stop watching the ball and you move to the offensive line, and you look for 74, there's probably going to be one to two people on the ground somewhere around him. Like, wherever he is, there's chaos. And for an offensive line, it's just fun to watch. And, you know, he takes off into space on screen passes or blocking downfield, and he's almost more fun to watch than the running back. Uh, and as a pass protector, he's got good feet, and he does – He's had some issues with kind of catching stunts with smaller linemen. Getting inside of him has kind of been his biggest issue. Uh, For Alex Leatherwood, he came in as this really highly rated five-star tackle. But he he was kind of big and struggled with footwork early on. So he played guard his first year before moving to tackle this year. He's a little more of a prototypical tackle. He's got very strong arms, like like your lengthy strong arms that a lot of people want to see in a tackle. There's been a couple times we've seen highlights of him blocking one guy with each arm. <laughs> but he, he's also been sig- a good bit less consistent than some of the other guys have been. So he, he's got a lot of size and potential. I wouldn't be surprised if Leatherwood actually comes back for a senior year, though.
0: Where do you see Jonah Williams falling in uh, between all those guys uh, talent-wise and NFL ceiling? We didn't get to see Jonah Williams this year really at all because he didn't play in training camp. He didn't practice. He didn't play in the preseason. So where do you see Jonah Williams being an Alabama guy? Um, and how ex- how excited should Bengals fans be about his his coming back to the team in 2020?
1: And Jonah Williams was just great. So He, he started for three years. Uh, and w- one of the f- best things about Williams was that you absolutely never noticed him. You could go an entire season and think, that he even play? <laughs> and for an offensive lineman, that, that's, that's what you want. Um, so I know leading up to the draft, the whole thing was about his arm length. And everybody said, well, he should be a guard. Uh, I don't know. I've never seen him play guard. But I know he was a really good tackle on both the right and left sides. And pass protection, you never had to worry about him. And he was a lot of fun to watch, kind of getting into the open field, blocking downfield. Kind of the biggest weakness we saw from him at Alabama was kind of in those short yardage, just lining up directly on some short nose tackle that's moved outside on a goal line or whatever. He could kind of get knocked back a little bit. He was just too tall and lean for those. But as a pass protector, he was as good as you could have ever asked for. And, again, a lot of fun watching him kind of pull outside of the line.
0: Well, that's something to look forward to most definitely for the Cincinnati Bengals. And they need... A lot of help on the offensive line. They they are they desperately missed him this year. Brent, we're gonna get you out of here. Before we do, we're gonna put you in the in the hot seat. A little bit of a prediction machine here. Where do you where do you see Tua going, and or where where do you see the best fits in terms of maybe some of those teams that are sitting towards the top ten, top half of the draft? Um, as I know, we're a few months away from it, but uh, wh- what do you think on that? Where do you think he lands, and what do you think is the best fit?
1: Um, you know, honestly, before, if Ryan Tannehill had not broken out, I was thinking he'd fit really well with the Titans mm. and kind of the offense they've been wanting to try to run with Marcus Mariota and never have been able to. Um, uh, but Tannehill has been playing so well lately. I think maybe they'll look a different direction and, uh, I don't know the Titans record right now. Anyway, I
2: think they're so eight and five.
1: Eight and five, so they they'd probably be picking around twenty or so. But, um, so I'll I'll come off of that one. the The Dolphins tank for two, I don't think it's going to be a thing anymore. Everybody's looking for Joe Burrow now. So, how about the Oakland Raiders? Mm. Well, we'll throw it out there. Uh, they're kind of getting tired of Derek Carr over there. And are going to be looking for some compliments to a decent run game. So yeah, I'll go with the Oakland Raiders. Okay, Aaron so you, back
2: with Josh Jacobs. Yeah, yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, yeah, you think you think he may fall a little bit. Then you're you're thinking he may be because right now the Raiders are what are they six and seven or something? Yeah, so,
1: some they're somewhere around fifty percent.
0: Yeah, um, so
1: you, I I think he could. It's it's one of those things with an injury like that. Um, who was it a couple years ago that? the linebacker out of Notre Dame, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. Jalen
1: Smith. Smith. You know, he fell from a surefire top five pick to somewhere like, well, maybe he'll be a fourth or fifth rounder now. And it it really all just depended on if a team decided to go for it, which, I mean, that's how it is with any pick, but with high-profile injuries like this, there's such a big range. If a top five team says – I think will be better, then they might go for it. Yeah. But if no nope, everybody thinks I don't think so, we'll wait and see and then who knows, he
0: might drop to the Patriots. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Oh goodness. <laughs> Um, what, a, what a week to, to bring that up wow uh, Tom, Tommy Wagner in our Facebook chat says Tua would go to the Colts I think that would be kind of interesting and possibly a good fit there too but uh, we'll see how it all plays out Brent thanks for joining us I know we, we said 15 minutes I think we kept you much longer than that but we enjoyed chatting with you and getting the insight on Tua Tagovailoa and other Alabama prospects both coming out this year and the one the Bengals grabbed last year where can people follow you find your stuff all that good stuff
1: uh, so our website is Roll Bama Roll. The Twitter handle is at Roll Bama Roll, and then I'm you'll if you follow that you'll end up seeing me eventually. I'm Brent Taylor. My Twitter is at btbama22. Uh, that, that's really it. But yeah, Roll Bama you'll see me riding right okay. there a good bit.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, you guys do good work there. Thanks for for coming on the program. If the Bengals end up taking. Tua or other Alabama prospects in this coming draft, we'd love to have you back on and, and chat with you about it if you're willing and able.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I'll do these podcasts, and a lot of times after Alabama players get picked, I'll do kind of guest writing pieces for the different SB Nation sites around. It's one of my favorite times of the
0: year. Awesome. Well, we'd love we'd love to to tap you for some of that info. Appreciate you coming on, Brent.
1: All right, thank you guys.
0: All right, take it easy. Uh that was Brent Taylor from Roll Bama Roll, the S B Nation, uh, Alabama site there. Good stuff. Good, good uh insight on on Tua there, I thought, John, especially some of what he thought was the uh some of his strength, you know, his biggest area of strength. I thought that was a really interesting piece and something that could be very valuable to the Bengals.
2: And he could have said so many different things. Like yeah, he settled, he settled on pocket and silver and that's definitely the thing that sticks out. But like, man, he's like he's just the most balanced of these quarterback prospects in terms of strengths because he has great velocity in a, in an arm. He has a quick release, and he has the pocket management and skills, and he has the production. It's just it, it really is a shame that he's the one that has his injury issue.
0: Yeah, they, it would. This, this, I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of Bengals fans, would still be on the Burrow bandwagon, especially if the LSU game, you know, oh, of Alabama, you know, if that played out, continue to play it the same way, and if he remained healthy, though, you know, the rest of the season, it, it would definitely make for a very interesting debate. Um, going forward, especially if he was able to get Bama into the playoffs, maybe those two teams meet again in the play, you know, it's just like, what if, what if, what if, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer, but, uh, he seems like a really great kid. So hopefully he can overcome that and have a, have a great NFL career. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called the future of work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. The, the Bengals take on the Patriots here, but uh, they've got their eyes towards the future. Um, and speaking of the future, we bring in our second special guest of the night, Joseph Yoon. Joseph, how are you, sir? Can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. How's it going tonight?
4: Pretty good. How about yourself?
0: Good. Thanks for joining us. I know you had a lot going on, um, but we, we appreciate you, you joining us talking a little ducks, football. Um, you know we're going to primarily focus on Justin Herbert because the Cincinnati Bengals are most likely going to be in, a, in the market for a quarterback, particularly at the top of the first round and Justin Herbert is one of those big three, quote unquote, that uh, they might be looking at. So we'll kind of we'll kind of ask you, start off a little bit with uh, a little bit of a profile of Herbert. what, what would you say? Is his his biggest strength because he's got the arm strength, he's got the size, he's got some athleticism, mobility, that sort of thing. What would you say as an NFL prof, prospect of the many strengths that Justin Herbert has is his biggest strength as a pro, as a potential pro?
4: Um, like you said earlier, the his arm talent is his biggest strength as of right now, and his adaptability to different offensive schemes because he went through three offensive coordinators so far in his mm. career so different completely different schemes and um because uh, his first coach was um I, I think it was Willie taggart and he runs a baylor style mm-hmm. offense uh, where the receivers almost line up in the su- in the stands pretty much and um and right now he's under marcus sororio under who under um Mario Cristobal, who prefers the pro-style system. So I think his adaptability is his biggest strength.
2: That's very interesting. Um, Just over the course of of Herbert's career, um, his production in terms of touch-interception ratio has been stable. His completion percentage and overall accuracy has been something a little bit more volatile. He was at 67% back in 2017, dropped back down to 59% last year, but now is up to... 66.7% 66.7% this year, um, you know, and a lot of that can be attributed to a lot more or shorter average depth of target and how you know, that Oregon offense hasn't asked him to really push the ball down the field, but also the, do you see, you know, an improvement in terms of overall accuracy and the fact that there's been a lot of drops from Oregon receivers kind of hurting him in terms of overall completion percentage? have you seen necessary growth from him as a prospect in in terms of accuracy that can be attributed to that increase in completion percentage.
4: Well, last year uh, Oregon led the led the country in drops from his receivers, and he had a he had a favorite target last year, Dylan Mitchell, who was undrafted free agent from the Vikings. And so obviously he didn't have Mitchell this year, so he had to spread the targets around, and. Yeah, so it's um I believe his accuracy is more towards like sixty-two, sixty three three percent than the fifty-nine that we saw last year.
0: Yeah, his his uh completion percentage uh actually is the second highest that he's had mm-hmm. in his career, sixty six point seven. He had sixty seven and a half, but he only started eight games there. I, I think Joseph, the big question here is you know, why the inconsistency? Uh, is it is it John, my co-host, mentioned the drops? Uh, you kind of talked to that a little bit. Justin Herbert seems to have, of, of all of the quarterbacks in this draft, I think raw talent-wise, he's probably got it all. You mentioned the arm strength, all of that. Why some of the inconsistency? Why some of the disappearing acts in uh, bigger games or or games they had to have um you know I think that's probably the biggest concern and why he might be uh you know a little bit further down the pecking order for some teams as they look to draft a quarterback
4: um fundamentally speaking as a passer he's not fully developed yet because he's been he's been hurt a bunch earlier on in his career he had a collarbone injury his sophomore season I believe and then um And then his his lower half needs uh, needs a lot of work because he likes to throw off his back foot a lot, like uh, a lot like Jay Cutler does in the past, unfortunately. And um, he's not he doesn't he doesn't throw any anticipation throws. He doesn't throw any receivers open. Mm. He just throws it. He just throws it to a spot, and hopefully the receiver's there. He's that kind of passer. So um, basically. He needs a babysitter like uh, Jared Goff does with Sean McVay. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, the scheme requires him to have a receiver open at all times. So, he's uh, he has zero anticipation
2: is oh, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. so, so, obviously, like you said, he's not fully developed and he is more of a raw prospect, even though he has four years of starting experience. But, that, I mean, that that raw arm strength and getting about some situations. And it's definitely fun to watch in terms of, of dealing with pressure and, and creating out of structure. Would you say it's more of a strength or weakness for, for him? Because uh, playing in Cincinnati, you're, you're going to deal with some pressure in your face from time to mm-hmm. time because their offense line is still struggling. And so, and sometimes guys aren't going to be open initially and you may have to mm-hmm. find different passing lanes out of the pocket. Would you say that right now that, that you're comfortable like, has he improved in that area where when he escapes the pocket, it's more of a, well, let's see what he's going to do instead of, a, oh my God, he's, he's, he's going out of structure.
4: Um, He's, he's definitely growing in that regard, but his pocket awareness is, um is almost Blaine Gabbard-esque. Oh, so boy. yeah, he's, he has a tendency to lower his eyes and uh, just scramble, but he takes a lot of sacks, unfortunately. And uh the Oregon offensive line, as you as you might know, is one of the best in the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's um most of the sacks were on Herbert, but there were some sacks on the offensive line, but mostly it's just he doesn't have the pocket awareness that a senior should have. It's more like true freshman level, but it's um it's the offensive line didn't develop until basically his junior and senior year where they got thrown into the fire early, so they had to develop really quickly. And as you know, undeveloped linemen are, you know, not good. So, um, yeah, it's just, he tends to try to fade away from the pressure, and it's not, he has arm talent to get the throws there. It's just, sometimes it's just hit or miss. It's like a mixed bag of what you get
0: talking with joseph yun of addicted to quack the sb nation oregon website uh appreciate his time talking some justin herbert with us um i i wanna we've been talking quite a bit about justin herbert we'll kind of circle back around to that as we conclude but um saw a comment in our live chat about troy die who actually is a a brother of former bengal tony die um Talk about him a little bit. Is he is he worth a look for the Bengals as a as a linebacker kind of hybrid player? Um, and if so, maybe you know what's his value?
4: I would put his value around maybe the highest would be the third round. Maybe the lowest I would take him is a fifth round because uh, he he has he's kind of a tweener frame wise, so you don't know where to place him actually. So he's kind of like a Dion Buchanan for the Cardinals way back in the day. Well, not way back, but, you know, a couple of years ago. But um, he, from the scouting reports, he's, uh, that I've written in the past, that he's, he has good tackle numbers, but he's not very physical at the point of the attack. So that may be due to frame, that may be due to defensive scheme, but um, he's not very, he's not what you would call a Luke Keekly or anything. He's just a, uh, he may be a two-down linebacker at the next level. Well,
2: there's still definitely value in that, but yeah, I think you, you you hit the nail on the head there. He's I think projected right now in about the the day two range, but that's still mm-hmm. definitely definitely some a player that the Bengals yeah. could could definitely value there. Going back to Herbert, we had a um a we had a fan commenting Brian Creamer. He wants to ask, did Herm Edwards and Marvin Lewis both coaches, for Arizona State? Did he do a good job of exposing Herbert's weaknesses in that game? Because that game ultimately put Oregon out of the college football playoff race and kind of rattled him for a little bit. And that was a great game from Arizona State. So was there anything that you saw from from their defensive game plan that really um got got Herbert off the wrong way? Not really. I think they
4: just copied the Auburn game plan where they just forced a lot of pressure on him and made him really see ghosts out there so to speak and uh he's um he's not very he doesn't deal well with pressure, I'll say.
0: Talking with Joseph Young here, uh, kind of to to close up here. What is your confidence level in Justin Herbert? I mean, I, I've kind of held the position as you know he's he is a boomer bust prospect. He could be he could become the best quarterback of this class, but given his physical tools or some of these things you're talking about, could be. You know, he, he could wreck a franchise. He could be a Blaine Gabbert, where you use a top five, top ten pick on the guy, and and you rely on him to be the next franchise quarterback, and it just never materializes. Where we've heard we've heard you compare him a little bit to Jay Cutler. <clears throat> we've heard the Blaine Gabbert comparison. Where do you where do you see his you know trajectory going in the NFL? Do you have confidence that he's going to work through some of these things, or are these things that are always going to be? part and parcel of his style of play and he's going to just, you know, he's, he's never going to really put it together as a true pro, pro prospect.
4: Uh, he definitely has the tools to be some uh, like a franchise passer, And if he goes to the Bengals, I think he's going to the right staff, but um, not this year anyway, but sorry to <laughs> rush aid. No, uh, I think Zach Taylor would uh, get him on the right path fundamentally, but, Overall, I think he could be best case scenario. Overall, he could be um, he could be a more athletic Ryan Tannehill. Hmm. Worst case, he could be out of the league in four years.
0: Yeah, maybe a Jake Locker, uh, yeah. someone, someone like that. Well, thanks, Joseph. I appreciate the time. Uh, where can people follow you, follow your stuff, and and uh, get in touch with you?
4: uh addicted to quack i uh, write for and i also run addicted to quack the twitter account so my personal account is at ducking 24 7
0: cool well appreciate you coming on if the Bengals select some ducks players we'd love to have you back on chat about them if you're willing and able
4: yeah no problem thank you for having me
0: yeah i appreciate you making the time man thanks
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh that was joseph yun of Addicted to quack, uh, not exactly the glowing endorsement of, uh, of Justin Herbert there, but, hey, he's a guy who's watched a lot of Justin Herbert, and those issues are – I mean, that's that's what we've seen. That's what a lot of people have seen, and that's what people are worried about. It's, it's – can you – do you feel you can coach your way through those and, and get him past some of these issues we've seen, the eyes down, the – you know, some of the anticipation issues and you're able to m- marry that with the physical tools or is are, are the, are the you know, weaknesses just always going to outweigh the strengths?
2: And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, you know, th- this is, I mean, everything that he says is logical and, and what we've seen from him. And I think part of it was, you know, he had that great game against Arizona and that kind of raised his hype a little bit and raised his stock. But then, he, you know, he and Oregon, as a whole team kind of faded out of the conversation as, as the year went on and he didn't play really his best football towards the end of the year. So, you know, right now the the opinion on him is, is more down than anything, but like you said, like the, like the tools are there and if someone can develop them, they they can potentially have a great quarterback, but you know, it'll take, you know, that quick development for him to, you know, fix some of those nagging weaknesses and turn them into strengths. And if he can't do that early on in his career, it's going to be really hard for him to turn around and stick in the league. So like, it really does depend on where he goes and how much time he's given. But honestly, like a, a prognosis of at best, Orion Tannehill is not the most promising you want to hear.
0: Right. Uh, you know, I think, I think aside from the tools, the major other strength that Joseph touched on that I thought that I, I think the teams will like, is the fact that he seems to be like a scheme diverse guy. He can work in multiple schemes. He can do multiple things. He's got the athleticism to, to work in, in different schemes. I wasn't actually aware he's had three offensive coordinators the past three years. So that's always a difficult thing for, for a quarterback to work through obviously head coaching changes as well mixed in there. So um, you know, I don't, I don't want to go too much into the, making excuses for the guy, but uh, you know, there, there are things to work through. And I think if you listened a, a little while back, there was a video from Greg Cosell of very well-respected NFL films and quarterback film guy. Uh, he kind of said, you know, Justin Herbert's a guy that is very, you know, diverse. He can work in a lot of different schemes and that's why teams will like him along with the raw tools that he has. So um, you know, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting standpoint as well.
2: You can you can do anything with that arm talent. You yeah. he you can put any he can put the ball anywhere on the field, and, and he's got the athleticism for being six six two thirty to to roll out of the pocket to make throws on the run. It's all about just getting the the technical aspects down, and it's it's discouraging for a four year player to still struggle with these issues. But I guess it was. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting because he was projected to be potentially a first-round pick last year had he declared, but these issues still would have existed and would have plagued his rookie year probably if he would have played. So I don't know if, if returning to a senior year was the best decision for him because now we have more tape and raised a lot more questions about him, but he definitely needed the extra year development before he was thrown into the wolves, the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see how his stock kind of um, volatilates during this process.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, who knows? Good, good combine, good, pro day throwing the ball well that could that could have people drooling who knows and especially if you know who knows what happens with the prognosis of Tua's recovery right if it gets you know we heard from brent earlier saying you know he could see this being a red shirt year well you know if you're a t- team picking in the top 10 you're not really interested in that if you need a quarterback you need a guy to come in now and, mm. and play right away uh for the most part so um you know that could that can maneuver things around as well but our thanks to both of those guys joseph Yun, of Addicted to Quack joining us here a little late, and Brent Taylor of Roll Bama Roll. We had a question here. Josh Wooded asked Anthony, When did you say the LSU guy is coming on? That'll be next week. Um, so he will be joining us next week to uh, talk about Joe Burrow. That's uh, obviously the. Um, it's B- Billy Gomilla is set to join us um, next week. Uh, he is with the, um, he is, he is with the LSU SB nation site, and he's going to talk about Joe Burrow with us. So, um, we, we look forward to that. Obviously we teased you with these two and everybody wants to hear about Joe Burrow. So, uh, Hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that. Our thanks for all of you for hanging with us, tuning in. We may break this episode up in terms of digestible uh, digestible show for for the audio listeners after the fact. We'll see how that works out. But at any rate, thanks for tuning in. John, thanks for sticking around late, man. I know it's late on your end. Uh, we will be doing, or at least I will be doing, hopefully John can join me, listener questions this Friday afternoon. So join us for that on, on Cincy Jungle's Facebook and the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get to our special guest in just a second here. If you are new to this show, please join us live via YouTube on the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel or the Cincy Jungle Facebook live video feed. All of our stuff is on Cincy Jungle. You can also get the audio versions of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Get it where you can. You can also get all of our stuff on YouTube and, as I mentioned, CincyJungle.com. So... As I mentioned at the at the beginning of the episode, we have been doing some twenty twenty prospect previews, prospect watch. Last week we did uh, we 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 had a couple of guests on to help us preview Tua Tagovailoa as well as Justin Herbert, and now we've got Billy Gomila from And uh, the Valley shook, which is SB Nation's LSU blog. Uh, Billy, how are you? Can you hear us?
3: Yes, yeah, you Everything's good. Doing
0: great. Yeah, well, thanks for making the time. I know you got a lot going on. It's the holidays and whatnot. Uh, I, I wouldn't have probably pushed you to come on this week if it weren't for the fact that Joe, Joe Burrow just won the Heisman Trophy and did so in, in record setting votes. So we appreciate the time. I'm just going to start off kind of easy, I guess, easy ish question, which is one that we have asked the other. Uh, special guests to when they've helped us preview other exciting prospects. There are many, many exciting traits about Joe Burrow. Pocket presence, leadership, uh, accuracy, all of that. What would you say is his greatest asset as he looks to move into the NFL?
3: You know, the biggest thing for him this year, and it was the thing that I, I, I already felt that he had, He's a great decision-maker, and he's, been, he's always kind of just been really in command of LSU from, from kind of the, the, the first time he stepped in, you know. He, first game uh, you know, uh, coming in as a transfer, Miami kind of starts a pregame scuffle, and, and Burrow was right up in the middle of it, you know, and, and then immediately talking trash to them about how, he, you know, about to kick their butt. And even when he was kind of struggling that first year, he he had this this knack for playing a game that would make you you come away you know not necessarily knowing the stats having watched a lot and think, oh, he played pretty well and then you look at the stats and he was right around fifty percent completions or you know sometimes even under it but you still felt like he played well because he would he would kind of just run the offense and keep keep things going you know he, he he took a long time to throw his first interception he he would. Throw balls away when they need to be throw, thrown away. He would you know, take sacks in a situation where it was like, well, taking a sack is better than putting the ball up for grabs. Things like that. you know. And this summer, I think when I previewed the team, I said, well, here's the thing. We know he's got the intangibles. We know he's a tough kid. We know he's a leader. All that kind of stuff. It's what kind of, you know, what, where's his ceiling in the tangible department as a passer? And then... He, he really just took off. You know, I was pretty confident that he would play well this year, that they would do well. I certainly never saw him coming out, completing you know seventy six, seventy seven percent of his passes, and, and throwing for you know damn near fifty touchdowns. That, I, I never saw that in my wildest dreams. And it's one thing he's going to have, I think, that's going to serve him best in the NFL is that he's got, a, a, I think, a professional mindset. And he's a great he's a great decision maker, and he is always just kind of in command and in control
2: of himself. Yeah, I don't think anybody really expected that monumental jump in production from you know sub sixty percent completion percentage to the NCAA record in completion percentage. And I think obviously the, the the number one thing people attribute that to is the hiring of Joe Brady to really you know turn over that entire offensive scheme. And just from just from someone who hasn't. Uh, fully watched LSU season and who hasn't been following him from from week one what has been the biggest difference in terms of what Brady has done to that offense and not necessarily do you believe that all of Burrow's uh, success has been attributed to Brady but what's really been like the biggest thing that that has helped him you know transform that offense what's been the biggest differences between last year and this year's you know construction of the offense
3: of, okay, we're going to be an up-tempo, no-huddle, spread team. You know, she spends almost the entire game in the shotgun. They're, uh, they, they've been able to be a high-tempo team. They, they don't sub very much. They kind of just lean on what they've got, and they go, go, go. And we saw that in the spring game, and it was like, well, that looks different, all right. Uh, you know, whereas last year, they used more spread sets, more three-receiver sets, but they still went under center, they still used a little eye formation. They still used a lot of tight end looks. Uh, you know, it, it was still kind of in between what LSU had done before and what I think Ed Erdogan wanted them to be. And then I think Brady helped kind of bring them those next couple steps. And, and he and, and Steve Ensminger, who was already here, just had, just had a great relationship and, and worked really well together. And it, it all just kind of came together. It was the right situation with, with you know, the receivers kind of ascending. You had the right kind of just the moons all uh, moons all kind of lines. You even had a running back who was kind of a, more fit, more of a fit for that kind of offense. More of a scat back, a guy you, you, you get the space
0: and throw the ball to. Talking with Billy Gomila, head honcho over at and the Valley Shook the SB Nation LSU blog, helping us preview Joe Burrow as we continue our 2020 prospect watch. Billy. Uh, this, is, this is where I think there, there are a couple of points of contention for how great Burrow has looked, for how great the stats are, the record-breaking Heisman votes, all of that. There are a couple of points of contention in terms of his NFL trajectory. Uh, I think one of them has to be how close he is. He, is he a player that is just hitting his stride, or is he a player And what we've seen, Uh, that is who is very close to what his NFL ceiling is or can be like, is he still a developing player because of this one year wonder type of thing or one plus year wonder type of thing? Or, uh, you know, is, is, is he maxing out as he's entering the league? He is a little bit older than, you know, a Baker Mayfield, a Lamar Jackson who came in before him.
3: Um, I would say physically, sure. I mean, yeah, he's he's never going to be the guy who is just going to overwhelm you with physical traits. And and his physical traits are better than I think people probably realize. He's, he's certainly a, a better athlete than people realize. He's probably a better runner than even what LSU used him for. They really haven't had to use him very much as a runner this year. Um, but yeah, and this is not a, it's not a case where he's going to get. He's just slap on another 10, 15 pounds of muscle, you know. Uh, physically, he's, he's definitely, I think, on the high end. And physic- physically, it would have been my question coming to this year as far as his NFL bona fides. Does he really have the kind of arm to to make the, the, the big-time throws that you need to make in the NFL? But I'll say this, for, for this year, he's been able to do that. He's been able to throw, you know, Those touch passes over the middle, over the linebackers, but in front of the safety he's thrown. He's really been able to just drill slants into some tight coverage. Last year we saw he could do, and I I hate to use the Drew Brees comparison, you know, just because it's Drew freaking Brees, but the thing that he could do that Drew Brees has done better than any quarterback I've ever seen is throw that back shoulder throw down the sideline when the, when the, the yeah. defensive back is a little bit on the over, over the top of the receiver. You throw it just kind of behind him and the receiver can just turn and get to the ball. And Drew Brees has made a living being able to do that down the sidelines and then being able to do that down the seams. And right away we can see, okay, well, that, that's a throw that Joe can make pretty regularly. And this year, he, he, you know, they took that but then he's built onto it so much. He's been, he's been a great deep ball thrower. He's been able to you know, just lay it out there and let guys run underneath it. He's been able to make big crossing routes a, a staple of this offense. He's been able to really just drill those slants in. And, you know, this is, this hasn't been an offense that's lived on just dinking and dunking and throwing short. They've thrown short, they've thrown long, they've thrown intermediate. They've kind of done a little bit of everything. And when you chart uh, Burroughs' throws, he really makes each one fairly regularly. I don't know that there's a, a throw... This year, that's
2: been a weakness for them. So, well, the Washington professional football team did something really smart in this past draft, and they they paired Dwayne Haskins, the, their quarterback, with Terry McLaurin, the receiver for both from Ohio State, and obviously you know, Haskins hasn't had a lot of success, but when he's had the most success, when he's thrown to McLaurin, he's been one of the best rookie receivers in the NFL. The LSU's got a couple of good receivers who are also draft eligible, uh, Jamar Chase and uh, uh, Jefferson, I think. So, in, in terms of you know, keep, keeping Burrow with one of his receivers, Who, who's who's out of those two guys is the guy that you want to see follow Burrow to the same team? Who do you think he can have the most success with uh, in, in the professional game?
3: Well, only one of them is actually draft eligible right now. Wow. Chase, Chase is a uh, great sophomore, so he'll have another year, but but Justin Jefferson will be draft eligible and I imagine will go out. Um, you know, it's funny, earlier in the year and and certainly in that first year, Justin Jefferson, who was, you know, of course, was the, the, the brother of Jordan Jefferson and Ricky Jefferson, who played at LSU, and really wasn't a very heralded recruit. We saw him really quickly, like, oh, well, you know, all he does is just get open and catch the ball. He, he's not real flashy. You never saw him make a lot of you know just crazy plays after the catch, and he's not super physically imposing. He's not small by any stretch. But he's only about six two, you know, but ninety five, maybe two hundred pounds. This year, especially early on, you saw really quickly, like, man, he's just—he and Joe are just dialed in together. Joe can just toss it up to him whenever he, he needs to play. Jefferson's making play after play after play. He makes the big third and seventeen catch against Texas, and then breaks a tackle and just goes takes it to the house. He's he's beating guys deep, he's beating guys short, he's beating guys every which way. And then from about somewhere about maybe the fourth or fifth game. Jamar Chase really took over. And he always, you know, he was a huge recruit. LSU fought off a lot of teams to get him. And the the difference is he kind of just has a more well-rounded game. He's not huge, but he's about 6'1", 6'2", 200 pounds. He will not be denied on a jump ball. He makes plays after the catch with quickness. He'll he'll bully guys. He's a really smooth route runner. And then he's shown... More speed than I thought he had coming into this year. Just consistently making plays. You know, against Vanderbilt, he had two long touchdowns on, you know, just little quick slant plays over the middle against Florida. He beat his guy deep on a, on a straight-go route and for the, the game-icing touchdown. And, they, you know, Bama, he just abused Trevon Diggs, who people say is supposed to be a first-round draft pick. I'm a little skeptical of that after watching it against LSU. But, you know, Chase had him all day. Whichever way he wanted. He was able to, you know, wall him off for balls with, with his body. He was able to go up over him when he had to. And when he when he was, he was had separation, he made a play after the catch. And he won the Politnikoff Award, and he deserved it this year. And I imagine he'll be a very high draft pick in the 2021 draft.
0: Talking with Billy Gomila of uh, In the Valley Shook, SB Nation's LSU blog. We'll be talking with him for just another minute here. Um, we're getting, you know, some questions in uh, in our live chats from from listeners. I guess we'll kind of try to, to blend a couple of them here. Basically, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the offense that Zach Taylor's attempting to run and or the Rams-ish offense, um, but basically I, I, an overarching theme that we're getting from some of our live listeners is what... what Can Joe Burrow bring in that style of offense and namely to the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, given his skill set? I mean, you mentioned, you know, maybe some limitations on the arm strength, uh, but great decision making skills, all of that. And and you said he makes all the throws. I mean, what how do you see that potential marriage playing out in terms of Burrow's skill set and what the Bengals want to do on offense?
3: Well, I can't speak a lot to what the Bengals do this year, but I did get to see the Rams uh, in person twice last year against the Saints, and, you know, the, the thing that impressed me about them with, 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 you know, Sean McVay and Jared Goff is McVay found a way to, to fit what he wanted to do to what Jared Goff did well, and I think he figured it out, and I think we Lot. Do we lose him? he's not used to reading NFL type defenses. So how do I make how do I make that easy for him? We're going to run a lot of play action. We're going to do a lot of shifts. We're going to do a lot of different stuff that's going to make the defense declare itself and give him easy decisions, and that's going to work for him. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's, if it's a long term plan, but it worked for him, you know, for the last two years. I think if you put a, a guy like Burrow in an offense like that, he's absolutely going to shred because he, he can make the decisions. The easier you make it for him, I think we've seen this year, the more he can maximize what everybody around him can do.
2: So I, I, I think I think the main concern that Bengals fans have with not not only investing in quarterback with the with the first overall pick is the it's the whole perception about the Bengals in it, it, it itself and the state of their franchise right now and you know say they draft a quarterback first overall what's his reaction going to be coming into a franchise that is not very successful it's very much in a purgatory it's very much in in a, in a bad shape and th- i the main concern would be you know if the quarterback comes in here and maybe doesn't really buy into what they're selling, doesn't buy into the whole process of, of starting anew and bringing a, a different culture to Cincinnati. Can you kind of speak upon just the Joe Burrow that you've come to know and the type of personality that he is and, and his willingness to overcome adversity and the type of, you know, the character that he is to be willing to come into a bad situation and do the best that he can to kind of turn it around? Well,
3: Blame your, your Bengals fans for feeling that way, just based on what I know of the franchise from the last few years. Um, you know, Joe Burrow kind of came to LSU. He was never really promised the job, even though that's what he was looking for in terms of, you know, he left Ohio State. He wanted to go somewhere where he could play. And LSU was kind of in a situation where they didn't really, they weren't quite ready to turn the ball over to their next quarterback yet. They had, you know, it was, it was they were going to be stuck with some younger guys. The idea of having someone that that had a little more experience was a little more developed, you know, was more what they wanted to do. And I think they wanted to to open things up a little bit, but they weren't, I don't want to say they didn't know how to, but I I don't think they were fully vested in in what they needed to do yet, and, and fully confident in their ability to do it yet. And, you know, Joe came in here, Coming from a spread offense, you know, he talked about how he had to kind of reteach himself how to take a snap from center. And he wasn't used to having to drop back and turn his back on the defense, on a play action thing, things like that. And you never heard him complain. You never heard him really say anything negative. He kind of just embraced it. He embraced the team really quickly. I only recently found out that very quickly there were some veterans on that first, that 2018 team who kind of were like, who's this kid who's coming in here and thinks he's going to jump the line and take a starting job? And they had to be a little bit of a team meeting, and Joe kind of had to stand up and say, look, I'm here to win football games, and if you guys have a problem with it, let's get this out. And eventually, he just won them over just by being himself. So I, I think he's a guy who is definitely going to bring a pro mindset to the NFL, which, which, you know, I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of football players over the years, and a lot of guys that have gone on to very successful pro careers. And the one thing that I take away from it is the guys who are the most successful for the longest time, the ones who can very much treat it like the way any of us treat any other job. Is that you go and you go into work, you do your work, you 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 devote yourself to being best players you could be. And I think we've
0: seen that Joe Burrow will do that. Talking with Billy Gomila uh, of SB Nations and the Valley Shook, their LSU website. He's the head guy over there. Billy, before we get you out of here, I, I know my co-host hates doing these, but do you have a, a pro a pro comparison? We've heard Carson Wentz. Todd McShay recently said he heard some NFL scouts call him Andy Dalton, which was a very interesting um analogy uh some people say a taller Drew Brees I don't know what do you have a pro pro comparison or someone that he reminds you of in terms of his play
3: I definitely would. see Carson Wentz didn't make a lot of sense to me because to me Carson Wentz was a guy who more physically jumped off the page a bit because he was a big strong yeah. guy you know playing at a smaller level at North Dakota Drew Brees kind of works in that he's a better athlete than you probably think he is. Uh, obviously, he's a little taller. Matt Ryan's not a bad comparison. Obviously, Matt Ryan's not much of a runner, but if you've ever you know seen the Falcons in person a lot, he is a guy that can get out of the pocket by yeah. time, and that's kind of how I would describe Burrow's mobility a little more. Um, let me think. Maybe somebody like Jared Goff in terms of you know, a little bit of mobility, tall guy. He doesn't have that kind of an arm, quite quite like golf. But, uh, you know, Drew Brees is probably the closest comparison I can think of in terms of being accurate, not necessarily being the guy who can power the ball a- into any window, but somehow still makes every throw that you could ask him to. Uh, whether, whether he's got Drew Brees' overall ability to just be a machine for you know, almost 20 years now. I, I, I don't know about that, but as a as a, an, a as a purely physical prospect, yeah, that's not a bad comparison. And Drew Brees wasn't a
0: first round pick. No, he wasn't know, coming out of college either. He wasn't. So. Yeah, I've got I've got one, but I'm reluctant to say it, so I'll, I'll hold it to myself. But at at that being said, Billy, how can people follow you? Where Where can they find your stuff? Uh, get in touch with you, obviously, learn more about Joe Burrow, especially with the college football playoff coming up.
3: Oh, sure. Uh, well, we're at we're, we're Today was uh, the, the first day of the early signing period of recruiting, so we're pretty packed in on that. Uh, but we're going to have lots of coverage of the playoffs coming up. And you know, One of my writers, Seth Galina, is a, one of the better quarterback breakdown guys on Twitter. Uh, if you're a big NFL X and O guy, he's all over Twitter for that. He does a lot of our breakdowns in terms of that kind of stuff. And you can follow me on Twitter at ATVS underscore Chef Billy.
0: Well, thanks for coming on, man. I know you had a lot going on, both uh, <laughs> wrangling the family and uh, doing some other things. I'm sorry I pastored you so much, but greatly, greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, making uh,
3: some time happy for Happy to it. do it. Happy to do it.
0: All right. Well, enjoy the college football playoff. Go go Tigers, right? uh so yeah, absolutely <laughs> and have a good christmas man
3: thanks I'll have a merry christmas too guys all right
0: take it easy uh that was billy gomilla of sb nation sb nations and the valley shook their lsu site good stuff from him um I, I don't know i i you know i think it's kind of interesting john that he talked about how carson wentz is not really his comparison of choice I think Matt Ryan's a positive one Drew Brees I, you know I, I the one I, I didn't want to really say and I'm I'm even hesitating a little bit but as I've come around a bit more and watch more of Joe Burrow I see I don't know man I see elements of Peyton Manning I do I mean he's got more wow. of, he doesn't have the elite arm Um, he's got the leadership he's got the headiness he's got the ability to move in the pocket I see it Um, I don't know I don't think the ceiling's there but I, I see elements of him in his in his play, it's just, it's such a high end.